I'm Shelley Palmer. I'm Ross Martin. And you're listening to Think About This. Today, we're both live from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. I'm in the North Hall, about 15 football fields away from you, Shelley. Yeah, and I'm in the South Hall, about a half a mile away from you. So welcome to Think About This. The more you listen, the less you know. All right, Ross, from a distance, all the way from North to South Hall, how you doing? I can hear you, but I can't see you. There's people That's everywhere. <laughs> there's computers everywhere. There's robots everywhere. I can't even, like, figure out where the bathrooms are. Yeah. And the, the line for food is just, I'm starving. Well, here it is, Ross. We're in Las Vegas with 170,000 of our closest friends, roughly 3 million square feet of exhibit space across the whole city. You know, there are something on the order of 150,000 hotel rooms here in Las Vegas within about a half a mile of each other. So it's cozy. And of course, the cab lines are legendary, or the, and the Uber lines too, for that matter. Where's the freaking hot dogs? Yeah, good luck with that. You're never, you're in South Hall? Yeah. yeah, good luck with that. You're no, I'm eating. in North Hall. You're in North Hall? You're in South Hall. Is that true? I forgot who's where. <laughs> wherever, the, wherever the hell you are, there's no food. All I know is every. I feel like I'm living in the future here. Like this is just some future state of what we're all headed towards eventually. So one of the fun things about CES is that you actually can see into the future, Ross. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. First of all, things that are shipping right now are on sale because it's actually the Consumer Electronics Show where they sell consumer electronics. But then there are chips and concept devices for things that are going to come out like next year, there's a lot of vaporware. So that kind of tells you what next year is going to look like. And then there's real things that are going to go out next year and be available for consumers. And then there's the coolest part, the concept stuff that may be 24 to 36 months out. So if you come to CES, you really have a crystal ball looking forward right up to about 36 months. It does look like the future because it is the future. The future for me is a freaking hot dog, Shelly. So, Ross, here they yes. really starving. Meet me at the Starbucks between North and Central Hall. It's going to be awesome. I promise you a Rice Krispie treat and a tall cup of coffee. Okay, I'm on my way there. And in the meantime, here's the rest of this episode. Shelly, I'm a little bit tired this morning. Really? Why? Because I woke up to have a bio break. In the, <laughs> of course you did. In the middle of the night, one of three. And, um, but one of them, I made the mistake of checking my email. You should never check your email at night, Ross. Well, the problem is your newsletter hits my inbox at like, what time is that? Like 4.30 in the morning? Or it's something? customized. The AI decides when it thinks you're going to get up for a bio break and puts the email in your inbox at that yeah, moment. See, it knows when I'm going to the bathroom <laughs> and then it greets me. And so that's what happened last night. So I'm reading your your email the yeah. think about this email which yeah. basically shocks me out of my sleep every, <laughs> every morning to which everyone can subscribe for free at shellypalmer.com oh, and promo. they should it's good you i actually i've been reading it for i don't know how long have you been doing it since 1996 so for me 10 years yeah since i could read um <laughs> so what was interesting to me about this one was you know it started to get at the idea of the way the 20th century thinkers thought that the 21st century would look. So yeah. here, here you, you were featuring Google's Universal Translator. Yeah. And you had a Star Trek image. Uh -huh. what, why, why did you write that piece? No, so it's interesting. So Google launched Google Interpreter for iOS and Android. It had been in the home in Google Assistant. And basically what you say is, okay, Google, help me speak and name your language Spanish or whatever. I think they have 44 languages now. Yeah. And interpreter mode will listen and it interprets like a like an interpreter. So in Star Trek in 1966, in the first episode, the Corbomite Maneuver, one of my favorite episodes, the first one after the pilot, Captain Kirk is holding what 
Roddenberry called the universal translator. So he would speak into it, obviously, in the language. Yeah. They thought that every Star Trek um, character was going to have to carry one because they were going to Brave New Worlds where no one had gone before. But anyway. It made sense. Yeah, it was. It, well, it did. And then, of course, they had everybody speak in English because like, yeah. they didn't use one <laughs> subtitle in the whole series. But I loved the idea of this universal translator. And when I saw Google interpreter mode for iOS and Android, you're holding a smartphone that it doesn't look anything like a universal translator, but you are holding something in your hand and you can ask it to translate for you. And it did. And I thought, wow, Roddenberry was so prescient. That's so cool. It's so Star Trek. It's like if you want to know the R&D pipeline for Google, you just have to watch. It's true. Star Trek. By the way, I'll tell you a funny story. So years ago uh, in 2006, I went to MIT to the Media Lab to do a speech and I was talking about life, liberty and advanced media. <laughs> and I had at the time the Motorola flip phone, the the course, StarTech flip phone was out as well as the earpiece, the Bluetooth earpiece. Yes. So I put the flip phone next to a Star Trek communicator. Uh-huh. on a PowerPoint slide and then I took Ohura's earpiece and I put it next to the little single earpiece Bluetooth and you know, made some, it was 1966 and 2006. And look, we're here. We've done it, right? And then I made a terrible mistake. What? So I took a photo of the bridge of the Starship Enterprise from the original series. Yeah. And I put it on the PowerPoint. And I asked the question to this room of engineers and MIT students. This room students, of Vulcans. Yeah. This room of MIT students and professors. And I said, how much wireless bandwidth do we believe is on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise? Oh my God, you just, that is like, why would you ever ask that? It was that catnip. Group? I thought people were just going to raise their hand and blurt no, out something. they're going to spend the rest of the semester they, figuring that out. <laughs> what everybody did was get up and the walls of this room oh, were the whiteboard Jesus. walls. And they all took their markers and they started doing calculations to try and figure it out. And that was the end of my speech. I, no one was interested in anything I had to say after that. It's like equivalent to walking into a room of third graders and saying, would anyone like some candy? Yeah, pretty much. It was hysterical. Anyway, oh. the they uh, they ultimately came up with an answer, which I don't remember. It was in the of petabytes. Course. It was in the petabyte zone. But the thing that I took away from from that was that Star Trek wasn't science fiction. It was goals. It was just goal setting for the engineers that were in the room. And that, you know, look, there were some visions in the 20th century that were absolutely spot on and inspirational and aspirational. And then there were some that were, let's just say, wrong. Okay. So when we come back, we're going to talk about what the 20th century got right and what the 20th century got wrong about what life would be like in the 21st. Sounds like a plan. Beam me up, Mr. Spark. So, Shelley, typically at the start of a new decade, which we're on the precipice of. We are. We find ourselves... Well, wait a second, Ross. Yes. I have a question for you. Is this the beginning of a new decade or do we have to wait till 21? I, I, it's a good question. Because you count one, two, three. Like zero was a concept that only happened with Arabic numerals. Like I know, I know. Later. I got, I, you're right technically, but I got to feel like people are ready to let the teens go. Let's just move into the 2020s. Okay. So we're not going to do any math. We're just going to do like some psychological This is podcast. Change. It's podcast math. Podcast we have, we can math. take some liberties with it. Awesome. Yes. Okay. So Nostradamus, very good at telling us what's about to happen. Yeah. Others in our life have been very... I actually count on you to tell me what's going to happen in the future. And this is sort of a light episode. So I think we should go back to the future and... Well, actually, we'll go back to the past and talk about the future. That's what we'll do. That's a good point. So let's fire up the DeLorean. (laughs) Let's go back 100 years to see what our old ancestors thought life would be like for us. Well, from a transportation perspective, they thought that cities would be multi-level with trains and cars on separate sky bridges. I'm sure you've seen that vision. It hasn't happened, but it does feel like that a little bit in Hong Kong. 
When you're yeah, there. a little bit. I tell you what's happening now, though. You got Elon Musk with the Boring Company, and the first one that I'm aware of, they're going to put underneath Las Vegas by the convention center, yes. and they're going to have Teslas going that mile and a half under Paradise right. uh, Avenue or Road uh, by the convention center. And there's so, Hyperloop, right? That which is coming. So that's not a bad vision. The 1920 vision, 20s vision of. The, what the world was going to look yeah, like. Yeah, but in the 1920s, people thought that we'd have 600 people on every airplane. 600. Surely you can't be serious. How many do we have on an airplane now? Well, I think a 777 is like 470 something. Okay, I have to close. look it up. That's. But you know what? I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. They also <laughs> thought they would have full-size lounges. Some of them do. Reading rooms, like a library on your airplane. I think it's Emirates, right? Emirates, you get the little cabin. But you have to be like super ultra first class. So if you can like take a mortgage or two or sell your house, then you could probably fly Emirates in, in a cabin. But normal people, you get 17 inches and you got to hope that you fit into 17 inches. And some of us who've had weight problems their whole lives are thinking that's harder to do than not. And then the leg room is next to zero. So I think their idea that plane travel is luxury travel is insane yeah, very because wrong. there's nothing wrong. about traveling on an airplane that's even a little luxurious. Okay, how about in the 1930s? This is this is fascinating to me. They felt that death from old age would be delayed. And I know what you think here. You think that we are the last generation or the next to last generation that's actually going to die. Yeah, I think that's right. What does that mean? Well, I see dead people. Look, Google's working on this. A lot of people are working on this. We die because certain things happen to our cells and there's some good science being done on what it is that causes our cells to shut down when they do and causing organism death like us to die. The people at Google are working on that. I think that as we get better at pattern matching, as the DNA sequencing gets better, as the science gets better, it's only a matter of time before they figure out how to either stop that from happening and or delay it dramatically. Then there's a whole other school of thought. You've got Ray Kurzweil and all of those people who are saying that at some point we're going to hit a singularity with computers where we'll be able to one. take our personalities right. and and sort of merge them into machines. I don't know if that's brilliant or crazy or insane, but there's good science to support the idea that it's possible. I'm volunteering my body for that. I, like right now. Sure. Why not? Now, here's a meta question, a metaphysics question or a philosophical question for you. If you knew you were going to live forever, I know. What would your motivation to do anything other than watch episodes of Star Trek and eat ice cream sundaes be? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't want to live forever. No, but I'm, I, I'm actually being serious. Like, if you knew, like, you had unlimited time. You know what's freaking time, me out about unlimited this? Is that, time. Like, when we do die, I feel like our family is going to re like play this episode that we're talking about our own death. Well, and I, now I'm freaking out. I know exactly what happens when I die. Let's hear. Oh, I know. I know. All of you guys disappear. I don't know what happens to me, but all of you are gone. So I'm not that worried. Well, about let me it. turn it back on you. Yeah. If you could live forever, uh -huh. which Google is eventually going to figure out. Yeah. Like, do you want that? I would dedicate myself personally to two things. What? One, trying to create art on a regular basis, Love like it. have the time to write all the music I have not had a chance to sit down and put on paper that's going around in my head okay. and to learn because the greatest joy in my life is just learning new things all the time. There seems to be more stuff to learn than you could ever learn, but if you had unlimited time, you could maybe make a dent in it, and that would be awesome. Okay, so Shelley, let's say that it happens, that you're you're living forever. Okay. But at the same time, there's this countervailing force, which is automated machines would make the work week 16 to 24 hours. So in the 1930s, 
thought leaders believed that our work week would shrink to like less than 24 hours a week of well, work. Yeah, well, you know, the smartest people in the world probably do work 16 to 24 hours. Not us. Not you and me. That's a day, not, not yeah, for a that, week. That's what's confusing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in America, we probably work longer hours, I think, than any other country on earth. And productivity is, I don't, I don't know if it's enhanced or diminished towards the end of that. You know, you're putting in 100 hours a week. I don't know if the last 20 hours are any more, you know, productive than the 80th hour. But I tell you what, they were wrong, right? We work crazy hours. And what happens is whenever you give someone a tool to make them more productive, they work the same amount of hours and they produce more. So I don't think this is ever going to happen. I, I don't agree with you. I think we, I think they're right. I just think we haven't evolved quickly enough as a species. I think we're going to get there. By the way, I'm trying to get there. Right? I would, <laughs> I'm going to lead the crusade for that because if I could work 24 hours a week and produce what I produce and take the rest of the time to live like to life, like art a, and learn to just be a human being. Yeah. Yes, that, I'm in right now. And Sign you, me up. And you and I love our work. Yes, I do. Okay. Back in the 1950s, people believed we would be living with 3D televisions, <laughs> right? The prediction was that by the year 2000, third dimensional color television would be so commonplace and so simplified that a small device will project pictures on the living room wall so realistic that they will seem to be alive. Yeah. According to the Associated Press. So several years ago, I'm going to say six years ago. 3D televisions were all the rage. It predated 4K. It was HD. It, 3D glasses came with them and they had- I remember walking on the CES floor with you at the Consumer Electronics Show and you pointed to it. You said, this is about to happen. Right. And I also said, if you remember, and it's complete and total hogwash. I remember. And yes. I didn't believe you at the time because yeah. I was like, no, it's, it's kind of cool. I think people are going to want this. So the problem with 3D is yeah. that you needed 3D glasses. And most people watch television probably sitting up, but many, myself included, like to lay on the couch with the remote. Well, if unless your head is straight up, just so, then you can't see 3D. Yeah. Also, about a third of the people who see 3D can't actually see it, when they, even with the glasses on, so that's not happening. It was completely a parlor trick. It made no sense. It makes no sense. And you know that it's not important, because if it was super important, all the gamers would use it completely all of the time because hmm. it would enhance their gameplay. But I'll tell you what has happened. What has happened is that we now have 4K, which is a super high resolution picture. And although there's not a lot of content natively shot in 4K, there is more and more and more. You can get that experience over the top. So if you've got a streaming service like Disney Plus, or if you have a streaming service like Apple TV Plus or Netflix or Amazon Prime, you can see incredible, incredible quality. And of course, the screens that they're talking about that would have been 3D in the 50s, an 85-inch 4K screen is about as close to life-size, awesome, crazy as you can get. And yeah. now they're in Costco for under a couple thousand dollars. In fact, $1,400 I saw one for the other day for an 85-inch. I'm like, wow. So it's affordable even in the most extreme cases. And the smaller ones, 50, 60 inches are, are sub $500. Now. I actually heard a rumor that Westwood One is getting those TVs for us from Costco. So I'm, I'm, I, if they don't, they will now. <laughs> okay. So then this is the most interesting to me of all of the predictions from the 1950s. Back then... They believed space travel for all would be a reality. In 1952, Dr. Werner von Braun, who became the head of NASA, testified that we would overcome most of the problems associated with space exploration by the end of the 1950s. I think he was a little mm -hmm. early on that. Here's what he said. The first step toward true space navigation will be Earth moons, man-made satellites 
high in the Earth's atmosphere, and that persons stationed on these Earth moons would continuously circle around the world and then would be able to observe and report any unusual activity that threatens peace on Earth. That's fascinating. He went on to say, supported against the Earth's gravitational pull by the centrifugal force of its rapid motion, only moderate power will be needed to launch spaceships from these satellites, which possess no atmosphere. Yeah. 1952. So that is the height of the Cold War. Yes. And this is a military statement. And he's thinking, we can see what they're going to uh-huh. do from space. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to put basically military bases in space looking down at the Soviet, then the Soviet This Union. was the beginning of the Star Wars program. It actually, yeah. From pro- the government. Probably from the government's perspective. It, it started that early. So here's an interesting factoid. NASA's budget's $35 billion, and that's what they need. Think about this, Ross. There are over 60 individuals on planet Earth that can write a check personally for $35 billion and countless more who could lever their assets to to come up with that money to say nothing of big corporations and countries. Yeah. So what used to be the entire provenance of superpowers, basically the United States and the former Soviet Union, now you could have individuals, and you do. You've got Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos's company. You've got Elon Musk in it with SpaceX. <clears throat> you have Virgin Galactic going with, with uh, Branson. So think about like what is it going to be like when they start to commercialize space travel? It can't be that far away. I mean, the, the guys in the fifties were probably wrong. Vernon Braun was probably wrong about yeah, he was the wrong, end but, of the fifties. But, but people are already reserving gr- seats <clears throat> as well. They should. I mean, I don't know if it's worth a couple hundred grand to go into space. I don't. If you'd like to reserve a seat on Shelley Palmer's spaceship, go to shellypalmer.com. <laughs> And make sure you select your seat. Yeah, you yes. Also, choose what you'd like to eat on the way there. That's right, because if there's any kind of you know dietary restrictions, we need to know in advance. I will take a kosher meal. <laughs> so, Shelley, in the 1960s, thought leaders predicted that we would be living eventually in underground homes with automated kitchens. They, we definitely got the automated kitchens thing going on, because you and I just went to the Internet of Things mm-hmm. Consortium, the Internet of Things Summit uh, in New York with Greg, and we had him on the episode previously. Underground homes, not a reality for most people, but as you know, in Maine, I am building an underground home. And in the 1960s, they believed people like me would build them. And, and there you are, yes. building them now. Not so a bunker, an underground home. Is it really underground? Yes. Like what, what part? Like all of it? You're or- not going to even know that it's there. It's so underground that you don't even know you're on top of it. Wow. That's you're a- going to be walking on my roof and you're going to be like, I thought Ross said he lived here. And I'm not going to be anywhere. That's impressive. For you to see. Well, that's good if you don't like your neighbors or don't want your neighbors to be able to find you. And I guess any unsolicited salesperson would have trouble finding the door. True. <laughs> the mail. The mail person is already annoyed by this. Yes. Where do you put the freaking mailbox when you live underground? As it turns out, none of that's going down. The kitchen's really not that automated. There's some automated things in the kitchen, not many, because. But, you know, Rosie Robot, who from the Jetsons, who were supposed to be frying our hamburgers or whatever, that's just too crazy expensive. We have some microwaves, and there are some microwaves that can tell what's in the oven. And I did see some wonderful IoT stuff where you can put your food in, it recognizes the food and determines when it's actually cooked by sensing whether the food is properly cooked. This is excellent for people like me who are not necessarily gifted chefs, and I am but not a gifted chef. The point is that Isaac Asimov he had this vision for the 2014 World Fair. Yeah. The problem is we didn't actually have a World Fair in 2014. No. But still, his whole idea, and I quote, was, men will continue to withdraw from nature in order to create an environment that will suit them better. 
By 2014, electroluminescent panels will be in common use. Ceilings and walls will glow softly and in a variety of colors that will change at the touch of a push button. Suburban houses underground with easily controlled temperature, free from the vicissitudes of weather, with air cleaned and light controlled, should be fairly common. Alexa, turn the nightlight to blue. <laughs> there it is. Alexa, make more people give us a five-star rating on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Oh, anyway, Asimov is a genius. He's an incredible guy, and, and he had amazing ideas. I'm not sure the bio or the luminescent panel living underground thing is, is on the list of things that he got right. For you. Yeah, but I'm glad you're going to get there, Ross. I'm glad you're going to get there. Okay. You know what else they said in the 60s is that kitchen units would be devised that will prepare auto meals. And if you're getting boxes delivered of food right now, that's yeah. spot on. Like, all you got to do is just throw the ingredients. No, I got, into, they got that right. They, the Blue Apron thing, they just totally got By that way, right. Not just for us, but for our pets. Yeah. So, you know, I invested in this business, Sundays for Dogs. They launched, they're launching in a few weeks. Like, they air dry the food. All you have to do when you get it is open it up and your dog eats it. It's fresh and it's better than, it's, it's human grade. Wow. And it's arriving. It comes to my house. I don't have to do anything. This is totally a commercial for that for Sundays for Dogs. Yeah, it's a little bit of a commercial for Sundays for Dogs, Ross, but that's okay. You invested in it. The thing is, the guys in the 1960s were predicting that we were going to have like automated meals and all prepped meals. We're right. That's exactly what we're doing, not only for us, but for our pets. Sundaysfordogs.com. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ross, we've come to the end of our CES episode, which was live from CES here in Las Vegas. Yeah, what have you actually been hearing? Because you've been on the floor almost the whole time, and people all I do is I see people following you around everywhere you go. Well, it's buzzword bingo, my friend. 8K, 5G. If you can, if it's got a letter and a number and an alphabet soup, it's happening here. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I still want to know where the hot dogs are. Yeah, they're over by the um, 8K display next to VR, <laughs> over by where your XR hot dog can be had in 5G. Enjoy. Uh-huh. Before I woof down a few air-fried dogs from my above-ground, state-of-the-art kitchen, let me remind you to please leave a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts, a quick comment or review, and thank you for downloading and subscribing to Think About This with Shelley Palmer and Ross Martin. If you think you know less than you did before, just wait until our next episode on the Westwood One Podcast Network.